Hello, hello, and welcome to My Tennis Journey, where we aim to bring compelling tennis stories to life. As you're listening today, it'd be amazing if you could hit subscribe or follow. It's free, you know. There's always two sides to a story, isn't there? And I think when it comes to the role of being the tennis parent, there really is two sides to the story. Because being a tennis parent can be just an incredibly rewarding, amazing experience. Seeing your child or children flourish and and enjoy a sport and learn all the incredible life lessons that go with it. A sport for life. Um, But there is, as any tennis parent who's been involved in competitions must know another side to the story the side to the story where being a tennis parent can be quite stressful um you know going along to the the cauldron that can be a competition um dealing with the raw emotions that that are often on display or having to deal with senses of injustice or whatever the challenge might be so there's very much two sides to the story and that's why today you know um I loved chatting to Dr. Callum Gowling. Um, Callum runs the liquid sports psychology uh, business and he's he's just got really, really good wisdom. He's got great wisdom, great knowledge for uh, for players, but he's also got that bucket loads of it for parents. Um, it's no surprise when you hear him speak that you know, organisations like the LTA, like the ITF, are bodies that Callum um, collaborates with. And and it's fair to say that I'm going to listen back to this podcast lost, lots and lots of times in my role as trying to do the best I can as a tennis parent. And I really hope that this episode, you know, you'll find it entertaining, but I hope you'll find it really useful. I hope it helps. Uh, I hope it help, helps the balance of being a tennis parent really tip into the the incredible experiences you can have. Uh, so, yeah, enjoy the episode. So welcome to the show, Callum Gowling. Afternoon, Rob. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, all's good. All is good. Callum, I know your work with, with players takes you up and down the country. Whereabouts in the world are you today? Uh, actually, for once, Rob, I'm at home. I've got I've got an admin day, so I'm catching up on admin, uh, typing up a lot of the sessions that I've been doing. I was down south for the previous two days. I was down in Essex and Kent doing a little bit of work, but I'm currently back in Cheshire, uh, chained to my laptop doing doing admin. But it's all good. It's all good. Well, it's a nice break for both of us, as that's similar to what I've been doing today. Um, and I know, you know, I know you work with a lot of, of tennis players, but today we're going to be talking tennis parents. Does your work in the world of, of sports psychology, you know, do, do you get involved with tennis parents? I do. Um, and I'd like to be more involved. I think it's a really important part of the journey. Um you know, I gave a presentation the other day and one of the things I was talking about was how important parents are along this journey. They are arguably the most most important ingredient within player-coach-parent relationship because 
you know, without them, it's not possible, this journey. And with the amount of care and love and passion that they have for their children, it's only fair that they get the right support, get the right education so that they can enjoy the journey, but they can also help their children enjoy the journey. And I think it's really, really important. I'd say roughly 85% of my work is with athletes. The other 15% is probably with parents. I'd like that to go up a little bit, either whether it be in, you know, official governing body seminars or delivering it privately like I do through centres and schools. Um, but yeah, I really think it's an important part of this journey. Come on. And, you know, I think I was looking the other day um, and I know that that tournament, LTA tournament website, it must get billions of hits, as they used to call it, from tennis parents checking out this, that and the other. But the other day I... I, I um, totted up the sort of number of tournament matches that R3 have done and it's approaching 800 so 800 tournament matches yet still I feel as a as a tennis parent with my tennis parent hat on that I have so much to learn in order to be able to help R3 more with their journey in order to be able to help me with my journey as a tennis parent because I, I'm sure I'm not alone in tennis parents um feeling that the journey can be a heck of a stressful one at times. You know, it can be beautiful. It can be rewarding. It is beautiful. It is rewarding. But my goodness, can it be stressful at times? So I'm really looking forward to hearing your top five uh, tips for tennis parents uh, as much as from a selfish point of view as from anything else. But I I very much know that the, the listeners, because we have a lot of tennis parents listening, they're going to value them as well, Callum. So, uh, I mean, should we be getting straight on in? And, and should we start with your fifth top tip for Teddy's parents? <laughs> They're not. I guess I guess my first two tips, if you want. I prefer guiding principles because I'm not here to preach or to tell anyone this is how you've got to do it. But I think there's certain principles that we should try and stick relatively close to. So the first one and I'll never get bored of saying this, is along this journey, you do need some really positive relationships, good relationships. And I'm talking about coaching relationships. The journey is challenging, like you say. And our children need support. They need the, the appropriate coaching, the appropriate education. But, you know, as you've already alluded to, Rob, parents need support. And any time a coach is entering into a coaching relationship, I would urge everyone to view it as a three-way relationship. The athlete family, the coach-athlete triangle, however you want to describe it, the relationship between the player, their coach, and the parents, well, that's probably the most important mechanism to safeguard the healthy development of children, because we are talking about junior tennis right now. Safeguarding their enjoyment, their development, healthy development through this journey. Because, yeah, it, it is. It's a fantastic journey. Me and you have both been on it in, in varying de degrees and capacities. But we'd be naive to suggest that it's plain sailing. Nothing, nothing straightforward. And in actual fact, it's the relationships that we develop along that journey that help to maintain and sustain our motivation and enjoyment of the journey in the face of the challenges. So a good coaching relationship will always start with a good human relationship. And that's a three-way one, the way that the coaches are 
respected by parents and by the player. But it's mutual. It's got to be mutual. And the parents have got to feel an equal part of this journey. They can't feel like their opinion is dismissed because at the end of the day, it's parents who probably watch their son or daughter play most of the matches. But I think what outweighs everything, if we're serious about the journey, is actually the relationship that the children have with their coach. Because, you know, if we look at it from the other way around, if, it, if it's a negative relationship, it might be the best coach in the world, the most highly qualified coach in the world. But if the relationship's not working, the player won't listen. And that's a challenge. But I feel like the relationship is the mechanism which makes us far more effective as coaches to deliver the coaching message. So prioritise the relationships along the way. Come on, principle. I like that. We'll go with that. Um it's uh, it's slightly longer on the title of our episode, you know, guiding principles as opposed to top tips. Right. But we're going to go with it. You've got good, valid reasons, Callum. Um, it's an interesting <laughs> one as well. I mean, I, you know, I was chatting about this with someone the other day in a slightly different way. Um, it was a player who's looking to go to an American university. And I was saying, you know, you, you might be looking at the location. You might be looking at the division. You might be looking at so many different things on where you end up going. I said, my tip for you, number one, is the relationship you have with that coach. How can you find out what that coach is like and whether they have really created a positive working environment? Because, you know, you go all the way over there. And if it's not that, it may not work out in the most positive way. And and I think you're absolutely right. You know, when it comes to anything in life, it's relationships that make the world go round. And I think if you can have a positive working relationship with a coach it's going to help in every single way and it comes back to you know enjoyment you know is is it something you enjoy and if the positive relationship isn't there if it if it if it if it isn't in the right way constructive then it's gonna it can become negative for either the player the parent you know, it, it needs that three-way working together, doesn't it? And if you can get that right, you you, you know, you're going to be off to a, a cracking start. Um, come on. So there we go with guiding principle number one. Um, how about guiding principle number two? You've already alluded to it. Is as simple as it sounds, is prioritise the joy in the doing. That has to be paramount in everything the coach does, the parents do for their child. And if we as the adults, because again, it's the coach and the parent who are the adults in this three-way relationship, we've got we've got to be slightly above, you know, some of the childishness of comparison and over-reliance on results. We've got to be bigger than that because we're the ones responsible for the journey of the child. And if we're observing anything that's detracting from their enjoyment of this process, because it involves competition, it involves a lot of training, it involves a lot of disappointment. Well, if we're going to keep coming back to that day after day, week after week for 5, 10, 15 years, well, you'd best love it. You'd best enjoy what you're doing, because if you don't, you're not going to keep coming back. I don't care who you are or how disciplined you are. If the love's gone... The joy's gone. There's going to be a lot of players out there who at 13, 14, 15 feel like tennis has turned into a bit of a job. And we lose the we lose the real motivation behind, well, why are you playing this sport in the first place? I know you're good at it. That's brilliant. Well done. Be proud. But are you enjoying it? 
if you're going to be good at this, if you're going to be good at anything, well, let's make sure we're getting some enjoyment out of it, some joy, some satisfaction. And what we see an awful lot in competition is you look across the courts and you do question. I know sometimes children can be enjoying themselves but not look very, very happy. I get that. But you do question some of the, the atmosphere and the vibe around competition. You think, hang on, if you just pull a few people aside and you say, is this fun? Are you enjoying this? I think I wouldn't want to put a percentage on it, but I think there'd be a few answers of no. So as I say, it, it doesn't sound like a particularly performance or elite kind of goal, but there's nothing more elite than I love doing this and I'm going to keep coming back and keep coming back because I just love trying to get better. I think if, if we have a, you know, a, a country filled with athletes who just coming back and loving doing it, then that's going to put us in a great position. So links back to the relationships. Are we in a good relationship that's prioritising the fun? Well, then we're safeguarding the development of players. I think this is so important. And if I've learned anything as a coach, it is that if the joy, if the fun goes out of the algorithm, and of course in the algorithm, there's got to be various things for it to work, you know, dedication commitment you know learning all these things but if joy if fun goes out of the algorithm the journey will stop that that's what i believe i i actually think it's that simple if you take the joy out of something why would you choose to do it and and i think when people get to 13 14 it's when they're starting to be in a position to make their own decisions. And if that joy has gone and you're in a position to make a decision, why would you choose to do anything that you don't enjoy? You know, it, it's just going to make you unhappy. This is massive for me. And and this is why, like, you know, even when, you know, say I'm doing county stuff, you know, which is not, you know, the highest level, but it's quite a high level. Yeah. I still try and bring a bit of the fairground to it. I'll still put a ball on top of a cone and say, right, the first one of you to hit this off, it's just a coconut shy with a different yeah. kind of, uh, it's got a tennis ball rather than a coconut. But that's all it is because the fun of the fair makes people live with a, leave with a smile on the face. And if it gets too serious, I can't see why you would keep doing it when you're in a position to make a choice. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. I've had many conversations over the years, you know, talking about, you know, talking about the elite professionals and you hear lots of stories about the athletes, you know, they, they're running on Christmas Day, you know, they're getting up early on Christmas Day, sacrificing the family meal and going out running. And that's obviously often used as an example of discipline and dedication. Yeah, of course it is. There's no way they're doing that if they really don't want to do it. And I think that we we gloss over that way too quickly. The reason they're getting up at five in the morning on Christmas Day to go and run 20 miles, they're not doing that if they really hate it. There's no way. No willpower alone does not drive you to that level. There has to be an underlying sense of I'm doing this because I want to do it. All right, it's hard work. And I'd quite like to be with the family right now, but I want to do this. And it, without that, I don't think we can rely and, you know, there's lots of evidence and academic research to say willpower alone 
is not a strong enough motivator. So if you're just trying to do something out of pure discipline with no interest, no enjoyment, no passion behind it, it won't sustain you. You will fall short. You will run out of motivation because it's not strong enough. We're human beings. We run on emotion. We're not cognitive. We don't respond to, Rob, I want you to get up at four in the morning and go for a run. Okay, yes, I'll do that. That doesn't happen. There has to be some interest for you in the first place to say, all right, I, I mean, I'd rather not. But if you're telling me that's going to make me better, I'll do it. There has to, you know, we've got to be self-motivated. And the first part of that is to actually have an underlying sense of, first and foremost, I'm here today on court because I want to be and because I love tennis. That has to be the first reason that we're on a tennis court, whether it's practice or whether we're in the car driving for a tournament. Number one on that list of why you're in this tournament isn't I love tennis. I know it's basic. We've got a problem. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm so bang on. And I, I always think it's songs. And um, like for me, there's a song by the Charlatans, Love is the Key. And love is the key. And and the question, like another song, where is the love? And I, I mean, surely if, you know, as a parent, I always say, and I will keep this going, you know, are you enjoying this? You know, are, are you enjoying? Yeah, I, is, are you having fun? You know, it, because... I think if if where is the love is the question and the answer is it's gone, you, surely as a parent, you've got to be saying, if, if my child is not enjoying this, maybe it's time to look in a different direction. Because if the love goes, I just don't see how the journey will end happily. Totally agree. I mean, I, I've spoken to you previously on, a, on, a, on another chat, Rob, and something I talk about a lot in just general sports psychology lectures because I still do a little bit of that. And the, there is a, a very basic talent development model, which we've known about since 1929. And talent development goes through three phases, romance, precision, integration. First part of talent development is romance. If we view talent development as linear, so I love tennis, little Rob's showing promise, he's talented. Okay, let's do some more training. He then transitions to the next phase. Okay, but we're not leaving romance behind. Just because I'm now taking it more seriously and learning some technique and learning some tactics, that doesn't mean to say I've completely transitioned away from the romance phase. Romance has to run alongside every stage of the talent development model. Because like we've been discussing, if it disappears, well, they don't keep transitioning forwards. The thing that people often forget about talent development and transitions is, well, another transition in sport is out of the sport. What keeps people in the sport? It's the love of what they're doing. We've got to have, we've got to improve. We're learning these life lessons, these skills of dedication and discipline and, and attitude to learning. These are important lessons from tennis and we can, as, as, as tennis professionals like you or I in different capacities, we can teach children these messages through tennis, but not if the love's gone. Priority number one, irrespective of where you are, I don't care if you're top 50 tennis Europe, priority number one is still enjoy it because if you're top 50 in Europe at 13, well done, 
but you've got so far to go into the future. You're going to have to do so much hard. You've got 10, 15 years of hard work still ahead of you. You best still love this. It's gone. Well, we've seen lots it's of gone. examples of what can happen. They transition out of the sport. When it's gone, it's gone. And I think uh, I've got a little Coldplay badge that uh, we got at a gig we went to, and it says love on it. And I'm going to start wearing that to tournaments, and it will no doubt give me the chance to talk to people about the importance of love. And to be honest, Callum, I think we could do a whole podcast on on just this guiding principle. I think it's so yeah. important. But uh, we must move on to the next one. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to yours now, Rob, that you preempted me on at the start. Um, guiding principle, avoid comparison. Yeah, I think if you, if you went to a tennis tournament, there'd be a lot of phones where certain websites are open and people scrolling through, typing in names, looking at win-loss ratios, matchups, who's beaten who, how many times have they played, what's the win-loss ratio. Again, I gave a presentation the other day on this, and uh, one of my favorite phrases, and it's my own phrase, and you can, you know, you can slap it down if you like, is the competition, the competition system that we have in any country. We've got our own, but there's competition systems everywhere. They, they're not meant to produce players. They're just meant to give players an opportunity to compete and practice the skills that they've learned from their coach. They're nothing more than admin. It's a way of organizing the hundreds of thousands of tennis players that we have within our country, but we can categorize them based on age, rough standard, so they can all play in similar levels. It's not definitive proof of anything. So whatever that website says, take a cursory interest in it by all means. I know you can use it, you know, fleetingly as a guide, but if it's being checked, multiple times a day and if we're researching players who have nothing to do with us i think it's being misused because the only thing that matters as a parent is your own child's development so how a rival fellow player in your county or another player your age 100 miles away how they're doing why do we need to know we don't you know, the culture says, well, it's what everyone else does. So I want to keep an eye on it. I want to keep a track of where everyone is. At the end of the day, you've got a son or a daughter. You're responsible for their development. And all you want is for them to develop healthily to the best of their ability through tennis. Comparing them to somebody else can only end badly because we can only be the best version of ourselves. And our aim as coaches and as parents is to get the very best of the human being that's directly in front of us and comparing them to somebody else who we may or may not know just because they're the same age. I just, you know, it, it, it's so wrong, you know, to, without putting too strong a word on it or too phrase on it. it and it, it's wrong and it doesn't work. It can only end in pressure on the child because they think, okay, well, if they're there, why am I not there? What's wrong with me? And we're, we're now steering away from what matters is the child developing their own self-confidence, focusing on their own development, focusing on their own journey. It's absolutely fascinating, this one. And actually, if I'm honest, 
I think this gets to the nub of the matter for a lot of tennis parents because the system's quite addictive. And, yeah. you know, if I, if I talk about my, just what I've experienced as a parent, you know, I've really tried, the, the children will tell you, you know, I've absolutely said to them, please do not focus on rankings, do not focus on results. You know, when it comes to competing, just play the player, respect the player. Um, and and that's it. But, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard for the players because often they'll get to the tournament and they said, oh, did you know you're playing so-and-so? Or do you know you're playing the number one seed? And so it goes out the window. And And the truth of the matter is, that whilst I've said to them, don't focus on results, don't focus on rankings, just like a lot of tennis parents out there, I am absolutely fundamentally aware of what the rankings and results are. And and I've had to, you know, I've had to do my best to practice what I preach. And, and at times it's really hard. It's really hard because, you know, if you're going for entry into a, a grade three or a grade two or a grade one, these things matter for whether your child's going to get in or not, you know, it's, so I get that. I absolutely get that. And and at times you need to have a look because yeah. of that reason. Yeah. But I really tried hard not to look, you know, not to focus in on the minutiae of, you know, it's not the charts where it's up 40 positions this week. You know, you're not going to have <laughs> Mark Goodyear going in at number 32, you know, and, and, but I've had to really work at it because it is addictive. And, you yeah. know, I, I honestly believe that the number of, if we were to go into a, you know, a, a meeting of the, the website team and look at the, the traffic that it gets for the number of users it's got, I bet you it goes through the roof because of, of how addictive it can be. And, but I just feel that as a guiding principle, and this is why I love the term guiding principle, if I'm going to speak to my children and say, this is not important, guys, this is not important. I have to practice, do my best to practice what I preach. And that means not logging on at Friday at 128 when the new run's gone through to go, yeah. right, let's have a look at what's happening. And, you know, and there'll be times when I will and I'll put my hand on yeah. again, you know, yeah. and it, but I, I, I just feel that as a parent, firstly, understanding that it isn't all about ratings and rankings is really important, at least on a, a philosophical level and then it's another cup of tea entirely trying to stop yourself from looking and trying but but what hope have you got in terms of persuading your players that that it's not the be all and the end all if you're making it the be all and the end all yeah again i bring it back to the very very first point the relationships you know if there is a cohesive, effective relationship between player coach and messaging is good. Everyone's on board with the same with the same end goal, which is a, a development goal or a process goal. The, remember, a really important part of that relationship is trust. And the way I, you know, in a illustrate in an illustrative way is I see the trust between the three as almost like a, a connective and protective barrier from all these outside messages because we can't control what players, coaches, parents hear and see at competitions because we're going to see behaviours that make us think, well, hang on, results clearly matter. Otherwise, you wouldn't be behaving like that. Or hang on, results clearly matter because 
I heard certain coaches talking about ranking based on getting into certain squads. We can't control that. And that, you know, and we can't control everybody's behavior. But if we've got a, a supportive, healthy, uh, effective coaching relationship that's working together with trust, then I feel like that's a really powerful um, protective barrier from some of these negative messages flawed learning outcomes from the journey and we've got to be on guard for that i i totally agree rob i've done it you know i, I that's why i like guiding principle i'm not sitting here preaching saying i there's no one further from perfect than me i've got so many flaws we could have 16 zoom calls 15 hours long and i wouldn't get through all of them i'm not here to say i do everything perfectly i'm speaking from a capacity where I sit down with a lot of tennis players and sometimes to help them and sometimes out of interest, I ask them, okay, so what's the goal going into the next tournament? Have you set any goals yet with the coach? And it's scary, the number of players who say to get points. And again, you know, prioritize the joy in the doing. Are you going to this tournament because you love it? Well, now I need, I need to get some points to get into the grade one or I need to defend last year's points. This is a, these are junior tennis players. You know, if, if, if we were talking about professionals who are fully grown adults, who are 23, 24, 25, and winning and losing means they can or can't pay their mortgage, it's a different conversation. We're talking about 12 to 16-year-olds. Younger than that, I know, but I speak with a lot of players in that age bracket, and they've got to double down on why am I competing? You know, in psychology, everyone talks about your why. Why are you here? What are you on court for? It's not for points. I know you feel like it is because the system's saying that or the culture is. You're on court because you love tennis and because you like competing and because you're trying to improve because this time next year, you want to be a better version of yourself. That's what you're here for. Not, I don't know, I don't even know what the point, 125 points if I get to the final, whatever. That's not a motivator to get the best out of yourself. And, mm. you know, we there has to be a system. There has to be something in place to organize all of these tennis players into some kind of order. So a system has to be there. But it's not there to create professionals. The things that create professionals are the coaches, their skills, their knowledge. But fundamentally... It's the little human being with their own motivation and drivers and skill sets and attitudes to learning. That's what's going to make them a professional, not the fact that when they were 13, they were ranked number three in the country. That's, you know, that's nice. And that take great pride in it. Well done. You should be proud. It's, a, it's brilliant. But I'm sorry, it doesn't mean anything for when you're 21. So think about the big picture. Get motivated for that rather than trying you know i'm number three at 13 it's an absolute disaster if i'm number five at 14 oh that's such a wrong <laughs> attitude to have please do slap me down rob if i get on my uh, my soapbox not at all there's an old gallagher lyric that says true perfection has to be imperfect i know that might sound funny but it's true and and th there is no perfection here is there you know it's like you can do your best but it's really hard and i think because of the sort of gladiatorial nature 
of our sport and the systems that are built up around it. And, and the very fact that within culture, you know, how did you get on is a loaded question of did you win or lose? You know, <laughs> because of these cultural kind of things, it's almost like it's so easy to slip into it. But I do believe it, 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 it's not the healthiest way of doing it. And, and actually, if conversations like this can help tennis parents understand that, that the rankings are not the be all and the end all, that making sure there's joy in the experience is so much more important because that's going to drive you to keep doing it. And what will help you do that is the positive relationships you have with your child and with your coach and the relationship that the child has with the coach if people can see that those factors of the algorithm can lead to incredible joy joyful tennis journeys then hopefully you know if anyone can just think about that then this chat will hopefully help not just me but some other tennis parents out there yeah yeah 100 percent, rob Come on, well, I'm I'm not exactly sure which guiding principle we're on. It, it, have you, I'm sure you've got another one, though. We're up to four, Rob. This one links closely. Um, it's not a race. I was talking about two days. I was talking two days ago, not because I know him, just because I think I think he's a very good example. About Liam Brody, and um, he's 29, and he's currently at his highest ever career ranking. You know, he's 107. 29 and I was having this conversation with a player because they were having a few doubts about is this worth it am I doing the right thing you know as a, as a 29 year old it's still just about memorable for me but think of some of the questions that players like that have had of themselves you know at 23 24 25 if things aren't working out imagine the amount of times they've sat down and thought should I carry on and again, it's the love of the sport that keeps them going. And if you carry on, you know, with patience and, you know, discipline, a hell of a lot of hard work. You know, this is a phenomenal athlete we're talking about. But it's taken until the age of 29 to maybe not even reach this peak yet, but he's at as high as he's ever been. So bringing it back to junior tennis, we think we need to move away from, again, the reliance on the website, but certain benchmarks. You know, by 14, you should be here. By 16, you should be here. By 18, you've got to be here. Otherwise, you know, yeah, you're wasting your time, really. We've got to have advice. We've got to have guidance. I understand that. But again, bringing it back to the phraseology, guiding principles, there's no rules anywhere. Nothing is written in concrete. Nothing and not, nothing anybody can say is a fact or a guarantee. If you can arm human beings with the necessary help and support and the hope that if I keep going, who knows what's going to happen? You know, this might sound idealistic, but I think if you can arm people with the right help and the right hope that sustains their motivation, I think as human beings, we're capable of one hell of a lot. And I think sometimes this short-term view that, you know, we're sometimes talking to 11, 12-year-olds, and, you know, by 14, you really need to be here to, to be in with a serious chance. I mean, what are we talking about? You're talking a 14-year-old, and now you're limiting their options. I just think it's so bizarre and false. Not, I, I'm not even talking tennis. You know, I think 
again, the, the reading I've done about culture within sport, sport is its own little microscopic microculture. I think we need to remember that as sports people as well. Sport is a microculture within the big culture of society, but it doesn't exist in a cultural vacuum where the norms and you know, normal behaviours of human interaction don't exist. We should still be applying common sense and healthy messaging and inspirational messaging, even in sport. And as I say, benchmarks and comparison, like I said before, looking at a player your age who is rifling ahead in the rankings and then thinking, oh, I'm obviously rubbish because we're the same age and we're nowhere near each other. You know, we are, we're a little bit more well-read and understand more about physical maturation. You know, sometimes we see 12-year-olds who look like 12-year-olds. And sometimes we see 12-year-olds who look like 15-year-olds. And we can see that and we can understand that. But it's the same for psychological maturation, maturity, problem solving, resilience, mental strength. These are things that, I mean, I didn't develop any kind of mental strength to my 30s, Rob. So way too late for tennis. But we're all on our own journey. So let's stop Let's stop comparing ourselves to other people and putting ourselves in this imaginary race against made-up targets. Let's just focus on the day-to-day work, enjoying what we do, working really hard, reflecting really honestly. Let's just see where we can go. I think if that was the message, and we could, again, through good relationships and good messaging, keep youngsters, juniors, children on board with that as a mindset, I think we'd see a happier culture and I think it would be certainly positive for their development. Come on. It's, um, I love this. It's not a race. Run your own race, you know, and um, development can happen for all sorts of reasons at all sorts of times. You know, you might have that growth spurt that brings with it an incredible weapon of the serve or it might be that suddenly from a, a psychological point of view, you mature and you just, you know, you, 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 or it might be that you just decide this really, really is what you want is to drive forward. And that, that added motivation because you've stayed in the race and then for whatever reason. And yeah, it is. I think a lot of people will give up the race because they believe they're not the winner. And, yeah. and it just shouldn't be that way. And, you know, right down to, you know, why are, are you are, we, are you involved in this? And, and it's not always about being a pro player. And I, I had this wonderful moment uh, yesterday where a lady got in touch with me and she said, I've got two friends who welcomed us to the village 20 years ago. They're in the 90s and they're going on holiday to Filey. Um, and their rackets are a bit heavy now. Have you got any... 25 inch rackets that they could borrow you know and some sponge balls or some red balls now that to me is winning the race you know that the joy of tennis is such that they're going away in their 90s and what do they want to do they want to play a game of tennis that to me is as much winning as somebody who's gone on the tour you know trying to make their way and and it, it it's i think if realizing it's not a race realizing that you know tennis journeys can lead you to wonderful wonderful experiences that aren't necessarily about becoming a professional player if you stay in it if the joy remains it's so important so important run your own race yeah 
Indeed. Come on, well, that's a great one. And uh, so, I mean, I think we're on to the fifth guiding principle, huh? Yeah. Uh, I've tried to bring it back to something that, you know, kind of encapsulates everything I've already just said. So final guiding principle is prioritise long-term growth over short-term satisfaction. And everyone's, you know, very clear. We hear it a lot in sport. Everyone's banging on about process over outcome. I mentioned earlier, Rob, I, I've got an article coming out quite soon um, that has been published through the ITF, the World Governing Body. And a very direct quote from a parent, and I'm, I'm quoting them verbatim, is everyone's talking about process over outcome, but when I go to a tournament, it feels a hell of a lot like outcome over process. And, you know, I think one, one point I should make is I don't have any problem with winning and I don't have any problem with parents, coaches, players who want to win. This journey, sport, about winning and losing, never more so than tennis because you can't draw. It's a rough sport. You're either going to win or you're going to lose. So it is, it's embedded within everything we do. But I do think we need to remember that winning a tennis match, it feels really nice, but only for a short time. And as a lot of the parents and coaches or players who are listening will 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 understand quite clearly is you win a match and either you're on again in half an hour or an hour or you drive home and then you drive back the next day and you've got to do it all over again. So that, that, that satisfaction, that happiness that we get from winning a tennis match, it's lovely. And we want to build, compound, win after win after win. That's what we're aiming for. I get that. But if we look too short term, like you mentioned before, if I look, okay, what did the, what did today's results do to my ranking? Let's have a look at that. With analysing it to that extent, that's so short term. It's nice. Take the pride, take the enjoyment from it. But this is a much bigger picture. You know, this is a long, long journey. It's a fantastic journey, like you said at the start, Rob. It's a really inspiring journey. You're going to get lots of amazing experiences. You're going to face some challenges that will build you up as a person. There's so many positives about the journey that if we're looking so short term and so microscopically at a website, we're going to miss a hell of a lot of the less hell of a lot of the lessons that this journey can teach us. Unless we keep our eyes open and keep our mind open to what this journey can teach us. We're going to miss out on one hell of a lot. And why I'm so passionate about this and this whole conversation is we're talking fundamentally about children at the start of their life. And we as the adults, and if you're working within tennis, custodians of tennis, nothing more. Tennis is going to outlast many of us and it's a fabulous sport. But what we want is these young people to travel through tennis and enjoy every moment on it of it and have the opportunity to reach the absolute maximum of their potential. And if we weigh them down with all sorts of expectations and, 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 and false dawns and false targets and, and just unnecessary white noise, we lose the beauty of what is tennis and we lose the thrill and all the fantastic important messages that this journey can give the children. So prioritize long-term growth, not just the here and the now. Make sure the day-to-day -day is as good as it can be. 
but then step back, let the process take effect, trust the process and enjoy the process. Stop getting involved on an hourly, daily basis, trying to tweak and fine tune and artificially manufacture something when human beings aren't robots. We evolve, we grow, we develop naturally. Long-term growth, not short-term satisfaction. Brilliant. And that that fact that, you know, your player, your child, they may lose a match that for whatever reason you think they should have won. You may think that that's down to an injustice. You may think that it's down to bad play on the day, whatever it might be. But And it's really hard to keep this sense of perspective, but it is literally a pinprick on the marathon that could be your child's journey in the sport if you can keep that sense of perspective that it's long-term growth over short-term satisfaction. And, you know, and I think the other point on it is that, you know, people in in life, again, tennis is life, you know, not everything is going to go our way in life. You know, we're going to be, we're going to face challenges. And this is where tennis can be brilliant because if you've lost a match, but you can get yourself back up, if you can get yourself ready to go again, what a tremendous life skill that is because, Things are going to go against us in our personal lives. Things are going to go against us in our working lives. That's just going to happen. And tennis can prepare you for that. And so if you can focus on the long-term, the long-term growth, not what's happening, you know, at this tournament or the next tournament, it's got to be good for the individual. It's got to be good for the tennis and it's got to be good for the life. I hope that if there are tennis parents out there who are thinking, hang on a minute, you know, I know the players gets help with psychology, but they need a, a bit of help. Then I hope they'll look you up, Callum. I hope they will, they'll realise that the support is there. I hope that this podcast episode has helped. And being a tennis parent can be incredibly satisfying. And I love the fact, the joy that our three get from their tennis. And I just hope that when the challenges come as they will, that it's the joy, that it's the love that, that, that keeps them in the game. And I feel that if they can get through to being an adult and have a love of a sport in their life, then I feel like that's the win that that I'll be looking for. Yeah, 100% agree, Rob. And, you know, my, my approach in any kind of um, workshop or, you know, seminar I deliver, I do I do talk just as candidly as you because, yeah, it, it is, it's a fantastic journey. And as, as you know, I... I've been involved in tennis since I was three or four and I'm still, I'm 43 now. I'm still involved. And if I didn't love it and if, if it was, if it was hell, I wouldn't still be here, but there's challenges. And I think if nothing else, the messages I want to try and get out there are not meant to be scary. It's, it's reassurance that if you're struggling with it, you're not doing anything wrong. Maybe you could improve your ways, but it doesn't mean to say that you're making a complete hash of it. And there's this, there's this secret method to navigate your way through. It's hard. But if there's if parents can can understand that it's hard for everyone, and if we can increase the support on offer for parents along this journey, obviously that's good for the parents. But you know, let's not for bigger picture, you know, governing body level, parents are a huge influence 
obviously on their children. If parents are feeling stressed and worrying about this journey, children are sharp. You don't need to be in someone's presence for very long to pick up on stress. So in actual fact, if we can support parents along this way and help one, educate them, two, more importantly, maybe support them, if parents are feeling better about the journey, maybe their approach at competitions, at training is better. Now, that's better for the children. So in a roundabout way, we're trying to get it right for the child. They're the, they're the, they're the focus of this journey, junior tennis. But we're here as the adults to support. So let's get it right. Let's try and get it right for everyone. It's never going to be perfect, like you say. But I do think we can do more to support parents along the way. These conversations are important. Because I think it provides reassurance. Come on. Well, I know that, you know, the likes of the LTA, the likes of the ITF, they're keen to help in these areas. And, and you know, I, it's been brilliant to chat today. It's genuinely, I think this is the podcast that I'm going to re-listen to as a listener rather than just a parent, because I feel like the things that have come out whilst I'm chatting about them, I feel that they'll really help me. And uh, I really hope that they'll help other tennis parents out there too. So thank you so much for your time, uh, Callum. It's massively appreciated. And yeah, here's to here's to enjoying the tennis journey and helping your players enjoy your tennis journey. And yeah, here's hoping that this has helped a little bit. Well, thanks again for listening, Rob. Loved every minute of it. Always love chatting to you. And yeah, I, I really hope that someone listening has, has taken some reassurance and some heart from that. So thanks again for the opportunity to have a chat. Loved it. It's a pleasure. Take care. That's all for today, but thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoyed that, please do hit the subscribe or follow button so you keep up to date with new episodes. And we look forward to welcoming you back to my tennis journey very soon.